Welcome to Red Tail Radio. We are back, and it is another week. Uh, who's whistling? <laughs> that was a door in. <laughs> is that our is that our theme song? Yes, the whistling <laughs> specter. I was looking for a ghost. That guy, whistles a modified a modified theme from Gunsmoke. It's close, but just different enough where we won't get sued. <laughs> Or like Gerat and Salad Review. What? What? You froze. You froze, and we heard half of what you said. Gelatinous Just, salad. Which is more than I wanted to hear. Well, welcome back, Nate. This is week two with Nate. Are you enjoying it so far? You know, other than like the Silence of the Lamb style basement torture, it seems to be kind of fun. Good. Well, you gotta admit, if nothing else, it's more fun than an open casket funeral. Just keep putting the lotion on your skin, we'll be alright. I don't know, what do you think I want to do after I get done talking I don't Go to an open casket funeral? Half my open casket funeral. Don't put it on. Alright, well. Put the lotion in the fucking basket. Did you ever see the thing, you know the elf on the shelf, we were talking about this at work the other day, you know the elf on yeah. the shelf thing? And the, they did one with the uh, the thing with the basket, the whole yep. scene. Yeah, yeah, with the little dog. Yeah, that's funny shit. Alright, so any news? We got some news, Nate. You said you had some news. 
stop fucking smoking on my show. I'm gonna have to put a disclaimer up on the, on the well, show. No smoking. Corey Taylor says he's anti drugs. Who the fuck is Corey Taylor? The Next warning news. kid from Stone Sour. Slipknot. We don't oh, talk about whatever. Slipknot on the show. I like Slipknot. No, we don't talk about them on the show. Next. To which Actually... the Iowa <laughs> album replied, Am I a joke? I was gonna, you know, I was well, actually, gonna he made, he made a pretty valid point about it about a week ago, I have to say, in Nate's defense. He played me a song, and it wasn't that bad. Made me think it might be worth revisiting, so we'll see. I think I played it either, like, Disaster Piece or everything else. It's just, you can feel the fucking hate coming off that album. But Linkin Park can still lick my taint. Oh, I yeah. just want to go on record as No, saying. I just told you the lyrics were good. I yeah. What they have to do with Linkin Park? I have no idea. No, we were. Ju- I was just trying to. Stick well, they were first. popular around the same time, you know, leaders of modern metal and whatever. Anyway, Corey Taylor says, "Not all great music is made while you're fucking dumb." To which the Iowa re- album replies, "Am I a joke to you?" Because everything is fucking dumb. Album, and that is still not So, yeah. There's new music from Agnostic Front. They put out a new album. I can't remember what it's called. Go look it up. Casualties put out a new song. Blind Guardian put out a new album, which I think is more relevant to Wayne. Yeah. It's a really not a Blind Guardian album. It's a Blind Guardian with an orchestra. Uh, it's like a whole different thing. It's all gay power metal to me, man. You're fired. <laughs> I'm just glad he agrees. <laughs> Not bad. It's just gay. Nah, it's pretty say that on the bad. Show. I'm not bigoted. I don't. Well, know. no, he's just saying he, it's gay. He didn't say they were gay fags. You he can't say that. Gay. But you can't say that. It's 2019. You can't say that kind of no, stuff. Too much of an anal I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> you didn't get us kicked off YouTube and iTunes and all that. Oh, did I hurt their little feelings? <laughs> yeah, you did. You know it would be perfect Fight if they were midgets. Did I hurt your little feelings? We have 134 <laughs> YouTube subscribers. We have 134 YouTube subscribers, and now after these comments, There's we're going to have four. And it's going to be me. Like I'll it's take that. Maybe anyone else even watches it. It just goes through the feed and they scroll past it. <laughs> Like all oh, these fucks again. Uh, speaking anyway. of that, uh, anybody who has uh, scrub- subscribed to the show recently, thank you very much. We have jumped ever since. Uh, yes, we do. We have jumped some up some scrub some. Uh, <laughs> we have jumped up some subscribers within the last few weeks because of the uh, King Diamond uh, things I put up on YouTube for the new show. Which will be on Friday, and for the uh, Team Altolki webs uh, website uh, podcast that started this past weekend. Yes, and perhaps we might bring you more fabulous prizes. I do want to have some more prizes on this show. Who's knocking at the door? Who's that? Uh, is that you, Santa Claus? <laughs> Telegram. <laughs> Speedy mail delivery. No, wait, wait. Uh, Candygram. Yeah, that's my King Diamond. King Diamond put out the first new music in, what was it, nine years or something stupid? I thought it was like like 12 12 years, I thought. Uh, Ozzy was the 
Time in Nine Years. I knew that. Oh, and it was okay. It's like a really boring Sabbath song. Yeah. But it's not bad. King Diamonds is pretty good. Sepultura put out the first song. That sounds like a fucking Sepultura song. Yeah, she said Since, that the other like, day. Chaos CD. You said that the other day on Facebook. It's and an actual thrash song. That is not true. Obviously, you haven't been listening to anything Sepultura has put out within the last few years. So you have no idea what you're talking about. And you froze yet again. You have the worst connection that anyone has ever had on this show ever. Well, um... <laughs> I was going to say, I have a piece of kind of news. I mean, it's really nothing new, but... Uh, <laughs> Look at his face. Yeah. Uh, Death Metal was featured on Jeopardy. Out. I'm going to have to hang out like this for a couple minutes, because the internet's killing me. Yeah, what were you up. saying? You need an, uh, a Wi-Fi extension. Death Metal was featured on Jeopardy the other yeah, night. Yeah, that was cool. I was watching Jeopardy when that happened. Yeah. I was like, whoa! Obituary and Morbid Angel. I listened to that. I'm cool. Obituary and Morbid... Oh, man. Do you think that yeah. was kind of like a, a knock at... Uh, uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, what the hell's the guy's host, the host's Alex name? Um, Alex, yeah, you think that's like a knock on him? Because he's... Cancer? Got no. cancer, yeah. You sure? No. They're not going to knock him. He's like an American treasure. What are you talking about? Uh, there might be some people that don't like him behind the scenes. I don't know. I don't Out of all that. the death metal bands... Oh, there's the some people out there dedicated to sending him back to the fifth dimension where he belongs. But <laughs> as of yet, they have been unsuccessful. What? Is it because he's shaved the mustache? I don't even know what it is. Anyway. You don't bother me. Downer headlining Grass Pop Festival in Belgium. So Ooh. first show since 2016. I like Ooh. Down. Down's pretty cool. Down. Give oh. me some nah. Philip Heavy Set Anselmo. No nope. thanks. You're not a fan of Philip Heavy Set Anselmo? Nope. Nah, that's what not I really. Pantera, I am, but not not of his Down I love Superjoint Ritual. Nope, sure. sucks. It's terrible. It's garbage. <laughs> Alright, first open metal show in Saudi Arabia happened, so there's progress for the world. Oh, no thank God. That's great. That's good. Nothing bad happened. And As, uh, a few weeks ago, um, uh, they had a, res a WWE went, uh, went to Saudi Arabia. And they got. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Nothing more American is like in existence than WWE, so. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the wrestlers that played on that show. Not played on that show, uh, you know, performed on that show. They got stuck there. Oh, God. They were stuck there for 24 hours. Meanwhile, Vince McMahon and some of the other wrestlers, like Hulk Hogan was there and, and Ric Flair, they all left. Kind of the devil, so, you know. What's that? Super... Vince McMahon is kind of the devil, so. He yeah, is. he is. Based on superstition there, maybe. Yeah. Throw back to last week, we're talking pop punk and 90s punk, early 2000s. New Offspring album next year. Oh, hmm. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> I'm funny. I have made a comedy. You have. You can do your own podcast now. Oh yeah, it'll be my, it'll be the Megadeth to this podcast, Metallica. <laughs> He's only done two shows, shows, Greg, and he thinks he could do his own show now. Oh it's, come on! You it's taken us a year, and we still haven't figured this shit out. Yeah, I know. Hey, man. You can lead yeah, a jackass to water, but you like can't make him drink it. <laughs> what else you got? You got any... Going back to the King Diamond thing, did you listen to the King Diamond song? Yeah. Nate? 
Yeah. I can't remember quite what it sounds like, though, because I'm getting it jumbled with the attic I was listening to. Oh, that's another show. What about you, uh, Craig? I I like it. It's okay. You know, I mean, it's not as best. It it sounds promising. Yeah. It's not quite ridiculous enough, you know? It's not quite melodramatic enough to be the King Diamond character behind it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a track that's like in the middle of the album. I mean, yeah. It can't yeah. be all. It can't all be grand bomb and you know no. death, no. but you know, doesn't all have to be. No, I, I wish he did put out more like a like you said, like a, a welcome home type song. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, we'll that's see what, what I happens. love most outside of Merciful Fate for King Diamond is just all the ridiculous kind of shit he does. Yeah. Yes. You make it sound like he's like a clown or something. And does like magic tricks on stage and things like that. He kinda is, and he kinda does. Yeah, it's like he paints. <laughs> it's like he paints his face or something. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Came a long whole... way from patches to dancing clowns. Pennywise. I imagine he had like a green wig on. <laughs> and a top hat. Could you imagine if you had a top hat that it was like one of the little ones that people wear? When you're blue and you don't know where to go, <laughs> you go wear fashion steps, but not the real. We should have uh, we should have Troy do that. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Do the whole young Frankenstein routine with him. I fucking yeah. love that movie. I consider that like canon to those fra- old school Frankenstein movies. It's too, it's too good at what it oh, does. Back. Yeah. Oh yeah. I figure I'll give it another try. Welcome back. All right. What what other news story you got there? Podcast. What are you reading now? Jesus Christ. <laughs> granola bar. Fucking granola bar. Fuck you. I'm being healthy. Ah, uh, I thought he said Malamars. I was like, damn, I want a Malamar. Yeah, I don't know. What else do you guys got? As long as it's not an Almond Joy or something, you're all right. I don't have anything, but I wish I had a Malamar. Um, <laughs> it's a chewy granola bar, which means it has Dave Murray on the front of it. I do have M&M's, though. <laughs> what does that mean? I have M&M's. Have you never seen the picture of Dave Murray as the Quaker Oats man? You never It's a patch. It's a patch. Is it, is it, it really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, That's great. Dave uh, Murray is the Quaker Oats guy. Quaker Oats guy. You've never seen that, Greg? No. I've seen that. It's hilarious. It's like the funniest thing on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, I want to get it on a patch. Like, <laughs> it'll go well with my tenacious D patch. Uh, I gotta find that picture now and put it up on the uh, screen here. All right, what other news you got? I don't have any other news. That's it. You done? Yeah, I'm pretty much just bringing up topics now. Oh, any other topics? Well, there was that Dave Murray picture, but I mean. Mm. It was kind of, it's kind of spontaneous, you know? Right. 
You know, Nate. Um, well, speaking of that Dave Murray picture, another good one I've seen lately uh, that's uh, slightly metal related is the one of Axl Rose and Mickey Rourke together, and it says, "Don't they look like an old lesbian couple going plant shopping at Lowe's?" <laughs> and they totally do. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's too funny. Uh, there, oh, there is another picture of actually Chris Barnes with Bob Marley. <laughs> There's another picture with Axl Rose and uh, what the hell's that guy's name? Um, oh, I can't remember his name, but they look exactly like Benny Hill. Did you see the side by side comparison between him and Axl Rose? Benny Hill, the old British comedian. Yeah, Benny Hill and Axl Rose. If you look at the two no. pictures, uh-uh. look look it up on online, and you'll see the two pictures together, and then you'll say, "Might be okay. switched at birth, or they might Who be brothers." Fatter? Who got fatter, Chevy Chase or Axl Rose? Axl Rose. I haven't seen Chevy Chase in a long time, so I don't know. Oh, but dude, also. Also, Chevy Chase. Oh no, that's kind of tough to say because Chevy Chase is a lot taller than him. He's gotten rounder too, though. Yeah. Whereas Axl Rose is just beefed up. He looks like King Kong. Although Although, Axl Rose has lost a lot of weight recently. Yeah. However, no matter how much of a dick Chevy Chase ever is, I can't say I've ever seen him give as bad of a performance as I saw Axl Rose do with the 2001 Video Music Awards, where he looked like he was going to have a coronary trying to sing Welcome to the Jungle. He went to his <laughs> na 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 knees, all right. And I didn't think like, he was going to get the fuck Axl back. Rose up, 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 up. <laughs> I mean, he hit that scream, and then his voice just started fading, and... Just silence, and he's bright red. I'm like, holy shit, I think he just died. <laughs> That's weird. Gotta eat some new knees, knees, knees. <laughs> uh, well, Nate, um, since this is your second episode with us, um, after the last episode, you uh, I didn't notice, but you, you are actually in a band. I am. Tell us a little bit about your band. Tell us a little bit about <laughs> you. Let people know who you are. July 17th, 2018 was last year. Right? Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Currently checking the date. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is this when you were born? We don't want to go that far back. <laughs> no, I met my bass player at an Ex Mortis show. And nothing happened for, like, let's see, four months. Then I found That's why I always carry roofies. started songwriting. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so nothing happened for four months, and then you found the guitar player. What the hell's he doing? He's yeah, trying to... First guitar player. Who was this? Spoken hot Asian chick, and then she quit after even after we found a drummer because yeah. creative differences. Yeah. She was pretty good though at guitar. She played a lot more classic rock kind of stuff though. Oh, was she into loudness? I wish. Her mom made killer egg rolls though. I remember that. <laughs> 
like her mom like broke in English, so you knew it was like real good. Yeah. But after that, I found a different lead guitar player at a different Ex Mortis show. That was the one opening for Venom Inc. And turns out he's still Mortis since they were kids, and he's really fucking good. And that's who's in my band currently. And then I found my last guitar player at the Bad Religion show. July second, and he's more of a punk player. Yeah, if you've ever heard of um, composition A, no, about it, but yeah, kind of. I'm very old. I don't know anything. Uh, what I do know is he's got the worst connection ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Hey. Oh. Just take it off the video. Now I'm going to have to edit this. How far did I cut out? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't listening to you. Start over. No. <laughs> no. So this is something about the, the something A band. Um, who's Composition that? A. Composition yeah, A. Yes. That was my, Constipation that's my A. other guitar player's. Composition A. That's his other band. And they're more like a long, ironically long, drawn-out, melodic punk band. Sort of like the Declaw. Wait, 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 wait. Um, Okay on the description, but let me stop you there for a second. It's your guitar player's other band, which is a local band, I'm assuming? Mm -hmm. Then why did you ask Wayne and act surprised (laughs) that he had never heard of them? (laughs) No, I'm not surprised. I'm asking. I'm just saying. It shouldn't be. Really. Yeah, okay. I don't know. No, I'm just throwing it out there. More oh, well. okay. Have you ever heard of Metallica before? What? Metallica? What is this yeah. thing that you speak there's of? A, there's a great joke the local rock station does. It's like, I don't know why 93X was playing so much Metallica. Clearly, White Lion is the future of rock. <laughs> All it's right, like back to you. a flashback to 1990 or something. All right, back to you before I fire you again. Hurry up. Who, me? Oh, oh Nate. He's too busy eating this fucking granola bar. How, how can I hurry and make the internet better? Just hurry up. Nobody cares anymore about you. You've ruined it now. Then stop asking me about me. What the hell's the name of your band? My band's name is Major Malfunction. <laughs> that's, that's funny. It's just, that's what you should name your Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's directly uh, stolen from Full Metal Jacket, but it's a great band name. We've got a killer logo, but showing it on my phone would probably be really bright, unless yeah. you really want to see it. No, no, but you can't see it because you it turn it It does look video. cool, though. So, oh. I mean, once I, once I turn it back on. Don't turn it back on, please. And what do you okay. do in the band? You're, you're the vocalist, right? I am the vocalist, but I help write rhythm guitar parts because I can play thrash rhythm guitar. Great. And Greg has heard some of our stuff. Yeah, you should have let me hear it too, but obviously you don't want me to. It's not online yet. I don't care. I'm not flying out there. You put it... Oh, whatever. I'm not arguing with you. All right. We've already had this conversation before. I know. Not in front of people, though. 
I'm trying to help him out. It'll be alright. We'll definitely <laughs> be playing shows by March, April next year. Alright, good. Sounds great. On that note, we have an interview with uh, Prophet... Who's whistling now? It's the door hinge. <laughs> Someone thinks you're pretty sexy, Wayne. I, that's what I thought. I was like, hey... <laughs> We have an uh, interview with Prophet from Saint Madness. Uh, this will be this will be part one because uh, we actually talked to him for a, quite a while. It was a very good interview, though. He was a very cool guy. Yeah, so talked cool. about a lot. Yeah, he's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So like, uh, does carbs paint pretty tastefully? Whatever he just said, I don't know. These young kids. He today. said he does his face paint, corpse paint, very tastefully. Oh. Well done. Yes. yes. Like it's not like ridiculous, like what Abbott does, you know. Right. Yeah. No. Well, it's different. Different music. Anyway, he's not wearing face paint. I feel like it? all so. black and metal. I feel like all black metal is partially tongue in cheek. Yeah. Or if you're completely well, serious, you're just a complete Kara asshole. That's what I love about Kara Kangrid. <laughs> like that Adult Swim video where they play in front of the aquarium. Yeah. That's fucking great. Yeah. Anyway, so here is uh, our interview with Prophet, interview, uh, part one, and we will see you guys later. 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 All right. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Welcome to Red Sound Review. Today we are here with Prophet from the band Saint Madness. And uh, what's going on? How's now, it going? Good. Now, I never heard of your mm-hmm. band. Ever until I talked to uh, Matt Schaffer from uh, the Hameen Media Group, and he was telling me all about you guys and how he used to, uh, I guess, you know, be your merch guy. Well, he, Matthew's a great guy, man. I mean, he, he didn't only uh, do merch, but he helped with gear and he he paint his face because we're a we're a theatrical band where we paint our faces. So, right. you know, he's just the coolest guy ever. He grew up with my son Joshua. And okay. uh, they went to high school together, and that's how we met Matthew. Oh, real cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were uh, sponsors for his uh, the Humming Media Group that he he belongs with, and uh, he was telling me all about you guys. So I said, you know, we have to get you guys on the show at some point. So glad to have you on. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, I listened to both of the albums that you sent me. I, we all did. We all listened to them. Yep. And... Uh, yeah, it's really cool stuff. I, I really, I'm gonna have to go seek out the rest of your albums because I really like uh, these. You know, these two. I, the ones are best of, right? Car- Carnival, Carnival, I think it's called, right? Carnival. Yeah. Carnival yeah. means carnival people who play metal. Carnival. Oh, okay. oh carnival. Yes, that's, oh, okay. that's the best stuff. That goes all the way back to the very beginning of the band, and the the, the band started in 1993 under the name Crown of Thorns. Right, and we were kind of thorns, and we had actually put out two albums, and then we found out in 1997 that there was a Christian rock band in New Jersey that actually had trademarked the name in 1991. That was the year before we started using it, so we knew that we couldn't go to court with them over the name. And the album we had out at the time was called "The Spiritual Visions of Saint Madness." So Margie, our manager, and I got an entertainment attorney, and we did a worldwide search to see if anybody owned the name St. Madness, and nobody did, so we trademarked the name on the spot in 1997. Kind of reminds me of Testament. Huh? 
Kind of reminds me of what happened to Testament when they had to switch from Legacy. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's why, you know, it's a funny thing because most bands don't bother to trademark their band name. Right. And yeah. we did. I mean, it costs thousands of dollars. It's not cheap. Yeah. But once you do that, at least you own it, you know, and you have some some something to stand on if you have to go to court and fight for it. Um, but, yeah, there, I, I was in a, a band for about three and a half years that I co-founded with Wiley Arnett from Sacred Reich. In July of 2000, we, we co-founded a band called The Human Condition, and we put out an EP, and I was with them for about three and a half years. Well, we also found out that there's a bunch of human conditions out there. Right. So then that's exactly why we trademarked the name St. Madness, because I did not want to go through that again. Right, yeah. How'd you get hooked up with him? Well, basically, uh, I've been playing the Arizona metal scene since 1986, and Sacred Reich got signed in 87. I've, I basically watched their whole career, and uh, Wiley's a good friend. Greg Hall's a good friend. Of course, uh, they have Dave McClain now, but... Um, I, I know, uh, some of the guys in Flotsam, like I know AK and cause we, we've all, you know, been here a long time and right. we've all watched each other's careers, you know, over the years. So yeah. Wiley's a great guy. I mean, it, it was a complete honor to work with him. Oh, real cool. I'm sorry. You guys have a killer scene. I mean, I've seen Flotsam and Sacred Reich and they've both been on a hell of a show. I mean, I killed the sea atrophy, but. I yeah. doubt that's ever going to happen up here. <laughs> no, both those bands really kicked ass, you're right. And um, basically in 2000, I thought I was putting St. Madness to bed because I had approached Wiley because I needed a guitar player in St. Madness and Sacred Reich had broken up at that time. And so I, I didn't even realize it, but he lived literally across the street from me. I had no idea he was that close. But oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I said, hey, would you be interested in working with my band, St. Madness? So when I found out his address, I'm like, oh, my God, you're just across the street. So I ran over there, and I gave him four CDs, and he took them for about a week. And then he called me after that, and he said, you know, Pat, I really, really like your voice, and I like the music a lot, but I'm not a face paint guy. I'm, I'm really a jeans and a T-shirt kind of guy, and that doesn't work for me. But would you uh, and your bass player consider putting something together with me on the side. Huh. And in St. Madness, um, we we have a deal with each other that we don't play in other bands while we're in St. Madness. And that's an agreement that I ask people to make when they join the band. So basically, Randy Axe, our bass player, and I put St. Madness on hold at that time, and we thought it was finished, you know, so yeah. we put together the human condition. Well, I did the same thing back then that I had sent you, only we had an earlier best of called We Make Evil Fun. And yeah. I put that out in 2003, and I figured that was the end of the band. Wow. Well, when we sent it out all over the world, we started getting a lot of really good reviews on that record. And so I could see that St. Madness wasn't completely done yet. And to be honest with you, after three and a half years, I started missing being profit and wearing face paint and... Uh, doing, you know, I, I told Wiley like this when I left the band. I said, Wiley, having me in the band is like having Alice Cooper trying to fit in the band. And I, I loved all the music, but I'm a theatrical guy. I like the theatrics and I like painting my face and I like all that. So um, I stepped out. And, you know, 
things turned out really good because a few years later, AK from Flotsam joined the Human Condition and became their singer when oh, I went wow. back to the yeah. So it all worked out in the end. Yeah. Are they still around? Because I don't, I don't recognize the name. The Human Condition? I don't know because uh, Flotsam got busy again yeah. and put out a new record. And Sacred, as you know, just put out another record. Yeah. So I, I don't know. They, they might get back together at some point. But no. right now they're both busy in their collective, you know, first bands. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up Alice Cooper because I was going to say that's uh, the one thing I enjoyed the most actually was uh, your vocals and profit uh, because it's it's great. It, uh, you, you relish in the character and uh, that like Alice Cooper would. And I really I enjoyed that. I do. I really <laughs> enjoy it. And I'll put it this way, and this is probably the simplest way to understand it. When I was a young man and I got in heavy metal, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to get rich and famous, and I wanted the bitches, and I wanted the parties, and I, I wanted everything. As I've gotten older, I realized that I just love being an entertainer. And an entertainer isn't necessarily a rock star. An entertainer is just someone who loves performing and making people happy. Right. And so every time I step on stage, I consider it a sacred place. And I consider it an honor to be an entertainer. When I look in the audience and I see a lot of happy faces, I'm honored by that. I mean, I get to be the one on stage doing that, and I never, ever take that lightly. Yeah. That's really cool, man. How did the face paint be, uh, be come to be? That's a great question. So <laughs> that happened in 1995, and if you'll remember... In the early 90s, in America, metal kind of started dying off. Yeah. And alternative music got really popular. And the funny thing about all that is when Nirvana and Soundgarden and bands like that came out, Alice in Chains, they were all put in the metal section. And then yeah, yeah, all yeah. Of them go, no, no, we're not metal, we're grunge. Yeah. So they changed it. And what happened here in Arizona was... A lot of people that were in metal bands suddenly were in alternative bands and they were wearing flannels and they were doing this and that. And it pissed me off. And one day Marge and I were out at some store and I said, you know, Marge, next show, I'm going to paint my face. I don't care if the band does it, but I've got to do something different because I just I'm just pissed off. And I, you know, I like alternative music, but I didn't want it to destroy metal. Right. And at that yeah. time. You know, they were even making fun of you if you were in a metal band, you know, you were you were considered weak or whatever, and it was a bunch of put-downs. So I said, you know, I want to go theatrical and heavier. Like, uh, I want to be a, a stick out like a sore thumb. So I went to the band and I said, you know, next show, I'm going to paint my face. I said, I don't care what you guys do, but I, I just feel like I got to do something different. And our bass player at the time, Randy Axe, said, well... If you're going to do it, we better do it or we'll look stupid. So all of a sudden, we instantly turned from a regular kind of band, for the most part, uh, to this big theatrical production, and I'm spitting blood on stage, and at one point I had fire coming out of my hands. And but We purposely made our music heavier and heavier and heavier. And oddly enough, the 90s from then on were very good to us, you know, really? and, and we are watching most of the metal dying off, but right. yet we were playing, you know, for a local band in Arizona, when we when we put out the Spiritual Visions of St. Madness in 1997, 700 people came to that show. 
And that was just a local band, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, in that's not so much. But when you're just an underground band and you put out a local CD, to have 700 people show up, that's amazing. Right. So yeah. we really had a good time in the 90s. Wow. Well, you're lucky. One of the few bands that did, I guess, really. Metal bands, anyway. And we ended up playing two Milwaukee Metal Fests. We played the one in 98 and the one in 99. And that's where you had literally 100 bands from all over the world would convene on one location. And they had four stages. And of that 100 bands, 90 of them were black and death metal. Now, you know from our music, we're neither of those. Yeah, no. <laughs> Walking in there, we were wondering, like, you know, how, how are people going to receive us? But... Um, oddly enough, they couldn't have been nicer. And both times we played there, we just had an absolute great time. Well, that's good. At least that's something to break up because you can only listen to black metal and death metal so long. I don't know about these two, but right. Right. Well, I mean, you can only listen to any music so long, you know. Right. After a while. Yeah. I, think, um, I went into it with the attitude of it doesn't matter what genre metal you're in; we're all a family, and yeah. it's all the heavy metal family. And, you know, I, I approached it that way from the stage. And like I said, you know, people couldn't have been nicer. In fact, we parked our bus right next to Six Feet Under. And uh, there there were, I mean, there were so many great bands on the, especially the 98 lineup. Mm. Uh, Lamb of God was on that one, only they were called Burn the Priest. Okay. Yeah. That sounds familiar. The Merciful Fate was on it and Mortician and uh, Emperor Sodom. Dying uh -huh. fetus. Oh, Sodom? With death. I mean, it was incredible. Wow, that's a cool show. Yeah. I was I was Merciful Fate, because we're doing a King Diamond Merciful Fate type show. How how did they, uh, did you get to talk to or, or talk to King or anybody? No. no. We, uh, we opened for him when King Diamond came here with the solo band of Phoenix. We actually opened for him in 1998. At a place called the Mason Jar, which in Arizona, that was our Whiskey A Go-Go back then. It's it's a different club now, but for about 20 years, it was called the Mason Jar. And we were direct, or not direct support, we were second band in a four opening for King Diamond. And he walked right by me and looked at me, and I'm painted and covered in blood, and he's painted. He just kind of looked at me, and then he walked by, and he went right on stage. Uh, but... Yeah, and, you know, it, it was an honor to to be on the same stage with him, you know? Yeah. You're a fan of the of his stuff? Oh, yeah. And yeah. King Diamond helped me as a vocalist because before I really got heavy into him, I sounded a lot like David Lee Roth from Van Halen. And back in the 80s, if you sounded like David Lee Roth, that was really cool. But in the early 90s, if you sounded like David Lee Roth, it wasn't so cool. And... Almost every review we were getting back then, they would say, hey, the music's great, and the singer sounds like David Lee Roth. And I thought, well, I got to do something. So I started listening to King Diamond, and he's kind of vocally schizophrenic. Like, he can be mm -hmm. different people with his voice. Yeah. And I found that fascinating. So I thought, you know, I want to try to work with my voice to see if I can use different voices on different songs and, you know, do something like that. And so from listening to him is why I sing the way I do now. Oh, really cool! And it's nothing like right. right? Oh, so, no, uh, <laughs> can you you can't do those screams? <laughs> I want to try to expand myself vocally. Yeah, 
No, I, I, I love the way you, your vocals are. They're really cool. It fits with the music and everything. I really like it and enjoy it. Yeah, the vocals are really expressive. I always thought that was interesting. Was I sing from the heart. And when, when we get a new player in the band, I tell them, believe what you're playing. Live it. If you're playing something that's really heavy and angry, find something inside yourself that makes you really fucking angry. Because it makes the music more authentic and to the people who listen to it or the people in the audience, you know, if you're playing this really angry song and you're standing there with a straight face, looking at your shoes, it doesn't come across the same way as if you almost live that song while you're playing it. So song about murder, I said, think about fucking murder, you know, but, or if you're a sad song or, or a funny song, you know, but be real when you're playing. Feel, you know, feel what you're playing and live it. Yeah, exactly. Nate, I don't want to. You haven't asked any questions yet, so I don't want to jump over you. If you want to ask anything, Nate. Oh, I mean, I don't know what questions I would have. Exactly. <laughs> I put him on the <laughs> spot now. <laughs> he's a he's a new guy. We he just started last week, so he's he's learning yet. If you're gonna ask me if I like to smoke good pot, yes. That's yes. <laughs> well, Definitely. we already have one thing in common, then. Right. <laughs> I don't drink. Oh. I I gave up alcohol, and uh, back in the eighties, I was a bit of a meth and cocaine addict and a drunk. And so, in nineteen ninety, March thirtieth of nineteen ninety, is the last time I actually drank a real beer. And um, now I just got a sign that said connection was lost, but then it came back. I don't know. But um, I gave up cocaine and crystal meth, and the only thing I have done since 1990 is is smoke pot and cigars. (laughs) I can't knock you for that. That sounds like a great life. You know what? It saved my life, and I was, I'm about six foot tall, and I was 129 pounds when I got clean, and I'm 200 pounds now, so I'm much more healthy now. And I was literally dying, and and I didn't I didn't really see it, but everybody around me saw it. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to get away because since then I've known many people hooked on meth and drinking, and they can't stop, you know. And luckily, I I got to get away, and I got to be with my family and to actually be there for them. Well, congratulations on that. Not too many people can do that, so. And I'm not anti-alcohol because as a vocalist, my job is to sell alcohol. When I play shows, I mean, if people don't drink in these venues, the venues close. So, you know, uh, again, I I have no problem with other people drinking. I just don't drink myself. Is that hard to stay away from it, though, from being around it so much? It is not. In fact, uh, over the years, I've seen so many people tear their lives up that it just reaffirmed why I stopped. And luckily... You know, my girl is sober, too. She's been sober uh, 25 years, almost 26. So um, neither one of us drink. But we, you know, we smoke a little pot and make heavy metal music. And that's what we enjoy. Now, is she in the band, too, at all? Or or, no, no. She manages the band. Margie, Margie, our manager, um, is my girl. So and she's managed the band since 1995. Wow. Oh, cool. Cool. Nice. Um, so I noticed that you had a lot of, Wait, me, but I don't know if she'll get on camera. She's sitting right here. Oh. <laughs> She's those looks. <laughs> <laughs> All you gotta do is just turn the phone around. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then she'll, and then you'll see her chasing yeah. me down the street. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I noticed that you you've had a lot of uh, people coming in and out of the band. Correct. Any reason for that? Well, the band's been around 26 years, and if you've been in bands, you know that most of them last under five years, you know, five years or under, and it's really nobody's fault, because if you look at it, how many people has Dave Mustaine gone through, how many people have Kiss gone through, so it's not about money or or success. Some of the biggest, most successful bands in the world have gone through lots of members. And for whatever reason, because you work closely with people after a while, you start getting on each other's nerves. Or maybe uh, a member decided they wanted to play a different style of music or their wife made them quit playing. Or I've, I've heard it all over the years, you know. And one thing I, I will never do is whether someone quit or I fired them, uh, I will never go public and talk shit about them and stuff yeah. like that. You know, we, we saw what happened in Pantera mm-hmm. when you do stuff like that, when you bring your band fights public, horrible yeah. things can happen. Cause there's a lot of crazy people out there who feel they have to do things. Yeah. And, and I saw it happen with Van Hill. Remember when they first broke up, David Lee Roth and the band hated each other for years. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have more respect for the people who like my band than to drag them through that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, God forbid they ever want to come back or anything, you know? Well, that's right. And see, if you're having a really bad band fight, you don't have to break up. Just take a break. Yeah. And then, see, bands make a mistake because they go, okay, we're done. We're done. And then two years later, hey, we're back. We're. But if you just say, look, you know, there's stuff going on in the band, so we're all going to go do our own thing for a while, and we'll be back when we're back, you know? And then you just come yeah. back. But, huh? I heard a rumor that Motley might be back again. For yeah, I, I read that somehow. too. And I would be surprised because there's still a lot of money to be made and I'm sure they miss it. You know, it, we're all like prize fighters, you know, and you get addicted to, to the adrenaline of the fight. And then when you have to retire, you're like, man, I don't want to retire. I think I still got some good fighting left in me. And bands are the same way. We get we get addicted to performing in front of a live audience, and it's really difficult to walk away from that. Yeah, yeah but seeing Vince Neil perform nowadays is just... Oh, well, know. he's a, still a prize fighter. It's just competitive eating now. Right. <laughs> well, what I thought would be funny, do you guys remember like... the old Celebrity Death Match? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so wouldn't it be funny to have big out of shape Vince Neil fight big out of shape Axel Rose? <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> oh, Axel fight Rose would win. He's got the mustache I, and the bandana. It's like you. He's no? got the whole machete thing going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's to also to be able to laugh at yourself and not take everything so god dang seriously and. <laughs> You know, you got to have thick skin to be in music because, like, I'll work really hard to make the best album I can, and I'll be really proud of it, and I'll send it out, and then some guy in a magazine will say, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) And you have to, like, let it roll off you because, you know, first of all, that's just one person's opinion, you know, but when I was younger, I used to get really hurt by that stuff, you know. Hmm. And um, what I do now is if we get a bad review, I write the person and I say, thank you very much for giving us the press. I was hoping you'd like the record, but I I recognize there's different music out there for everybody. 
but I still want to thank you for giving us the time in the press. And, you know, more times than not, it'll turn the person around and they'll be like, wow, you know, most bands, when I give them a bad review, they write, fuck you, and they get mad, and then I want to write more bad reviews about them because right. it's funny. Yeah. And so I just don't do that. I try to conduct myself as a professional, and, uh, you know, and I hope that maybe in the future they'll give it another listen and maybe they'll like it. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But there's no sense in writing a person and saying, go kill yourself because you don't like my album. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we haven't had any of that yet for the show. <clears throat> One day it's going to happen. Never, never talk about this, so I guess. Well, I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty famous for not liking a lot of stuff, but I realize a lot of hard work and whatnot. And, you know, it's it's your art. You put your love into it. So you right. try to make it constructive, you know. Right. right. And that's why I do the heart so I use a co-producer on every one of our albums. I use, uh, for most of the albums, I use Larry Elia, who owns Mind's Eye Digital Studio here in Phoenix, because he's a, he's an ear that's not in the band, so he's not emotionally wrapped up in the songs like we are as songwriters. And so he'll tell me, you know, if something kind of sounds shitty, he'll be like, hey, man, you know, I really I don't think that sounds good, you know? And I listen to him. I trust Larry. The hell was that? Uh, let's see. I was listening to uh, Blood and Capades and uh, the song "Made in China." It's cool. It's a cool song, and you got one line in there, something like, um, "Oh crap!" I, I meant to write this down earlier and I forgot. But something that you saying that you you're not racist against Chinese people, something like that. I can't remember. You know well, the line. Basically saying that I, I'm not against China. Right. I'm, did you did you feel like you China. had to had to say that though because the way you were writing the song was going people could think that you're, you know, against Chinese people. Did you feel like, because well, the way people are now, do you feel like you had to write that? I don't, I don't know if, if, if I thought people would think that or not. I just felt like I needed to say that, that, you know, this isn't about uh, the people who live in China. But what, what drove me to write this song, and I wrote the lyrics back when President Obama was still in office. I know Trump is the voice in the beginning, but I actually wrote it a few years ago. And the thing that made me write it was when I would go into a store, I would literally pick up any item and turn it over, and they all said made in China. Mm-hmm. And after a while, and, and I, I'd travel a lot, you know, and I would go to different parts of the country and in stores, and I'd pick things up and it'd say made in China. And then I started hearing from my friends in Brazil that the exact same thing is down there. Everything they sell is wow. made in China. And I thought, you know, that's not right. America has people that need jobs, and they and they need things. And why is everything we're buying made in China? Yeah. And so it frustrated me, and that's why I wrote the song. Yeah, yeah, I like that song. It's pretty pretty cool. And then when when I heard the Trump stuff, I'm like, oh man, these guys are gonna get shit for the Trump thing. <laughs> yeah, and you <laughs> know what? We really haven't. Really? Yeah. I haven't got anything. <laughs> I might now, but. I haven't yeah. got any yet, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it's a really entertaining song. We try to give it a little bit of a punk rock feel, um, you know. I, yeah. I like a lot of variety on our albums. You'll see there's there's a lot of different kind of emotions and colors in our albums. Yeah, that's what I, I noticed that. on this album. Huh? That's what I noticed on the, the Blood Lescapades album. You got like a rockabilly song that's uh, false, Folsom uh, Prison Blues. It's kind of like, right. like that rockabilly feel to it. And then right. you did the, the cover of, um, I'm trying to look as I'm doing this here. 
Dan, I'll fall in love with you. Yes, yes, he did that cover. He did that like in a punk style. And see, Elvis Presley is the reason I became a vocalist to begin with. I was a sports guy. I had played soccer for many years. I lived in Holland as a boy. And I was on the track team in high school and the tennis team. And I played football in junior high and baseball. But I played soccer for many, many years. And my dream was to become a soccer player. Mm. And then Elvis died. And the day he died, I was in a pool with my friend at my friend's house. And his mom came out and said, guess who died today? And I said, who? And she said, Elvis Presley. And I said, ah, who cared about him anyway? I liked his music. I was young. I was 15. I didn't really know all that much about it. Nah. And then I started watching all the news footage on TV. And when that man died, it's like the world literally stopped. Yeah. I mean, mm. he was that important that when he died, everything stopped. And yeah. I thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said what I said. Maybe I need to look into this guy a little more. So I started reading up on him and reading books and magazines. And then I started buying his albums. And I'd go home after school and sing to his records. Mm. And I was part of the the choir at Al Saloma High School where I went in California. And one of the guys told the choir director, you need to listen to Pat sing because he sounds like Elvis. So in the middle of the class, I had never sang in front of anybody in my life other than my bedroom. Mm. And he called me down to the front and he said, do you know Blue Christmas? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to play it, start singing. So I sang a couple lines and he said, he stopped and he said, see me after class. And my choir director really didn't like me at all. He called me Homer. He never would call me by my name. And all of a sudden, he's calling me Pat, and he said, you, you know, Pat, you really sound like Elvis. Would you ever consider dressing up like him? we got a Christmas concert coming, and uh, would you sing Blue Christmas? I'll get one of the girls to sing it with you, and we'll see what happens. But if people like that, we have a spring concert coming up, and maybe you could dress up as Elvis, and I'll have some of the girls from the choir go crazy and dance, and we can make a whole show of it. And so I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I've never done this before, but I'll give it a shot. And the first night when I sang Blue Christmas, I was signing autographs. And oh, I wow. thought, this is easy. And all of a sudden, I'm singing, and all of a sudden, I'm getting laid. And I thought, all those years <laughs> of talk never got me laid. I think I'm going to start singing. So I, I, <laughs> that's how it literally happened. And then a couple of years later, I went from Elvis music right into metal. And I don't know how that happened. I think I just, I like the aggressive music and the, the loud, you know, the powerful uh, melodies and everything. So I went straight into heavy metal. Oh, wow. I but think Nate, Nate froze, <laughs> by the way. Huh? I think, I hope Nate froze either that or he's just <laughs> zoning out. I don't know what the hell happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think right. I think he froze. He's not I moving. So. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> All right, whatever, Nate. Are you there, Nate? Yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> so, what what's the the band that got you into uh, heavy metal? Huh? What's the band that got you to, into heavy metal? It probably started with Black Sabbath, you know, and and they actually scared me a little bit because they scared everybody, and I yeah, I found that fascinating, and I kind of liked that, you know, and I went from that to Kiss and uh, Ted Nugent, and I know Kiss, I wouldn't really call Kiss metal, but they were heavier than a lot of the bands out there, yeah. um, and and you know, and then when thrash metal came, that thrash metal is my favorite form of metal. Oh, really? Yeah, your, like the old Metallica and Slayer and stuff like that. What's your favorite oh, thrash band? Now you and I could be friends. We're all good here. 
Oh, you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. frozen on the screen, so we don't really return see of the living dead. <laughs> I am. My favorite <laughs> band is probably Megadeth, and I, I like Metallica a lot, but I I really only like the first four albums. I mean, there's other stuff on other albums that I like. But I think the first four albums are classics, and and that's what I keep going back to with Metallica. But with Megadeth, you know, he's got he's got many albums that I think sound good, and and he stayed with the thrash, you know, much longer than they did. And I like that. But I love Slayer, you know. I mean, who doesn't love Slayer if you like thrash metal? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, once you think about it, the Rust in Peace isn't overall all that thrashy. Like, especially right. with the drumming. Yeah. The drumming's not very quick. Like, it's about yeah. the same amount of thrash on it, I think, as the Black Album sometimes. Because, you know, Black Album's got, like, Through the Never and quick songs like that. Yeah. Well, See, when, when that Dave record... Part... Oh, sorry. What's, what are you smoking over there, Nate? Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't think Rust in, or, uh, yeah, Rust in Peace is all that thrashy. See, but back in the day, back in 1991, it was considered pretty thrash, you know? I don't know. I even think Painkiller is thrashier than it. Painkiller was. I mean, when Rob Priest, right after that album, I thought, no, man, what are you doing? I mean, when Bruce walked away from Iron Maiden, I understood because Fear of the Dark, like for me, I like the song Fear of the Dark, but I really don't care much for the record. And then they had the other one that came after that. Uh, no, or or no, X Factor. X Factor. No, X Factor with Blaze Bailey. That was after Bruce left. Yeah. But yeah. there was one called No Prayer for the Dying. Yeah, yeah. that was the first one. And then yeah. Fear of the Dark. Yeah. Where I thought it was kind of iffy. And I could, I could kind of see why Bruce left. But when Priest put out Painkiller and then Rob left, I thought, man, what are you doing? But. What happened was Rob, I guess, had met with Pantera, and he liked their heaviness because they were even heavier than Priest, and he wanted to keep going heavier and heavier. And from what I read, the other guys in Priest said, no, we kind of want to stay what we are. So he left and started fight, and then they got Ripper Owens in, and what did they do? They immediately went heavier, kind of like what Rob wanted. Oh, yeah, Chuck is yeah. awesome. You that's know like what I mean? Yeah, that's album. what Rob wanted. He wanted to go heavier. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. And then he did it with five. And then he did it. He did it I know. And uh, a, a funny story. In January of 1997, we were called by the owner of the mason jar. His name was Franco. Everybody knew, knows Franco here. And he said, because we were a weekend headliner already at that point, and he said, listen, my band on Monday canceled on me is there any way you would do me a favor and just show up and play? And so we thought about it. We said, yeah, of course we'll do it. So we showed up and we did our show on Monday. And we even made a joke. We said, since it's a Monday, we're going to wear the least amount of face paint, you know, possible. So we just put a little on. We played the show. There's 30 people in the whole club, you know, and and not much going on. But after we play, I was sitting on, on a bench and I'm covered in blood. And I think I was smoking a cigar. And Marge comes running up to me, and she's like, uh, Franco's talking to a man who really wants to talk to you, and you've got to come with me right now. And I thought, what? There's like 30 people in this whole place. So I start walking towards the bar, and Franco cuts me off, and he goes, listen, dude, this guy here is real, 
and he wants to do something good for you. And I'm like, what? So I walk over there and I shake this guy's hand and he goes, hi, I'm John Baxter. I'm and like we're back. And- <laughs> we're back. We're back. We are we're back. back. All right. Thank you very much for uh, Profit for coming on the show. That was part one. Check it, us, check it out next week. We will have part two with Profit from Saint Madness. Um, I would just like to thank, real quick, Lou Mavs and uh, the great Harry Barnett for being on our network. And I would like to thank you for watching our show and for subscribing to us on YouTube. I notice we have a lot of new subscribers. I'm not going to go through them now, but you know who you are. And, um, yeah, thank you guys very much. And Nate is back again. Thank you, Nate. Welcome back. And uh, also, uh, I have started the Timo Talkie podcast that is on uh, every week. I started this past Sunday, so the first episode is up. And this Friday, this coming Friday, uh, what is it, November 15th, I believe? Yes. It'll be the... Good. That'll be a fun story for next week. That's right. Don't forget about it. Let us know what happened. But uh, that'll be the first episode no, of our King show. Diamond. Yeah, keep talking over me while I'm talking. <sighs> God. That'll be the first episode of our King Diamond podcast. This broadcast belongs to them. And that's Ibed right. Mark, that's right. And Ibed Mark will be uh, our first guest. And there's a three-part series with him. And then we will carry on from there with Michael Dinner. Pete Black and Snowy Shaw, David Harbour, and some other guests thrown in between at some point. And now, for more news on the King Diamond show, we go live to a midget in a bikini. Hey, guys. Well, that's to give you a space to put in the midget in a bikini later. Oh, there he is. I'm going to put a midget in a bikini impersonator. <laughs> so you you identify as a midget in a bikini. Most I can pull is this right here. Just please don't ever do that again. That was more most of everyone. <laughs> That's pretty. Funny. <laughs> I'm a strong, independent woman who don't need no man. <laughs> Oh, Wayne Thrilly finally has someone he can listen to his Shania Twain albums with. Based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. Damn, don't you feel like a woman? (laughs) (laughs) On that note, see you guys next week. Toodaloo. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Why? He's got to be frozen like that. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Oh, boy. If you guys don't watch this on on, uh, YouTube, you're missing out. Yeah. See ya. That's uh, Nate doing our upcoming ad for Turbulent Juice. (laughs) (laughs) That was like racially turbulent. Yeah. (laughs) Too funny. All right. See you guys later. Bye.